Kids. Real kids, real questions. Hi everyone, and welcome to Kids Cues. I'm Kate. And I'm Dylan. And we're super excited about today's podcast because we're going to be speaking with a real life astronaut. Three, two, one, and liftoff. Just imagine what it would feel like sitting in a rocket as it blasts off, knowing you're going into space. Honestly, I can't even imagine. Yeah, me either. It's probably pretty scary. I'd get homesick pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I reckon I would too. And it's a very exclusive club. Only 12 people in the whole world have ever walked on the moon, including this man. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Those are the very famous words spoken by Neil Armstrong the moment he stepped onto the moon's surface with his fellow astronaut Buzz Aldrin. And that was back in 1969. Wow, that was a long time ago. And while they were the very first moonwalkers, others had already been into space. Fun fact, in 1962, so seven years before Neil Armstrong, the very first American astronaut to orbit the globe was John Glenn. And apparently, as he passed over Perth, everyone rushed outside to wave their torches. The outline of the town and a very bright light just to the south of it. Uh, Roger, that is uh, Perth and Rockingham you're saying there. Uh, Roger, the lights show up very well. Thank everybody for turning them on, will you? And that's how Perth became known as the City of Lights. Oh, I didn't know that. Me neither. Well, today (laughs) we're speaking with an astronaut who's actually been to Perth before. In fact, he was born in Adelaide, South Australia, and he's the very first Australian to ever set foot in space. And he's going to answer some questions from the Year 9 students at Cannington Community ESC. Dr Andrew Thomas, welcome to Kids Cues. It's a real honour to be speaking with you today, all the way in Texas. Thank you. Good to be talking with you too. So you've had an amazing career with NASA. Can you tell us how many times you've been to space? Yes, I had uh, 23 years as a professional astronaut with NASA, and I flew into space on four occasions. That's four space shuttle missions. Two, three of those were about 10-day missions. One of them, though, my second flight, was a four-and-a-half-month stay on the Russian Mir space station. The shuttle took me up to the space station and dropped me off, and I stayed there for four-and-a-half months, 20 weeks, before returning to Earth. I reckon if I was up there, I'd be getting quite claustrophobic. And um, homesick <laughs> And well. homesick. What did your missions to space involve? I had a variety of tasks and missions. My third and fourth missions were what we call assembly flights. They were flights to the International Space Station that we were building at that time, where we uh, carried out some tasks to assemble a space station. On one of those flights, I got to go outside to do what's called a spacewalk, where you put a spacesuit on and go outside into the vacuum of space. And I was outside six and a half hours doing assembly tasks and repair work on the space station. Can you tell us what a space station is and what's it like living in one? Yes, space station is a uh, spacecraft that orbits the Earth. It orbits the Earth every 90 minutes, full circle around the Earth every 90 minutes. So you get 16 sunrises and 16 sunsets every day if you're living on a space station. It's a vehicle that provides all the necessary things you need to live. So it provides the right kind of atmosphere. It provides uh, 
uh, all the what we call consumables, all the things that you need to live in space and function and, and stay alive in space while you orbit the Earth. And uh, I lived on the Russian Mir space station for 20 weeks in zero gravity. And we now, of course, have the International Space Station, which is orbiting the Earth as we speak, uh, with a crew of astronauts and cosmonauts on board. Imagine 16 sunrises. That's incredible. I would love to see that. What does it feel like stepping out into space? Oh, it was uh, tremendously exciting. I had to don a very heavy, bulky spacesuit, which provided breathing breathing air and cooling and radio communication. And then we uh, pumped the air out of the airlock, opened the hatch, and I went outside into the blackness of space, into the complete vacuum of space. And it was really an amazing moment, uh, as you can probably imagine, to be out on the space station in a spacesuit looking back towards the Earth in one direction and looking out into deep space in the other direction. And I was out for six and a half hours doing some maintenance and assembly tasks. It was quite a workout. It was a lot of hard work, but it was really a memorable experience. It wasn't scary for you? Did you not get nervous? You know, I was a little bit nervous just before we started, when just before we opened the hatch, but we had trained so much to do the sequence of... Uh, tasks that I got into the mode where I was felt like I had been there before. It all, it all started to feel very familiar because we're trained on uh, mock-ups that look just like the real thing. So it, it, everything had a degree of familiarity and that, that put my nerves at ease and I was able to get on and do the work. As you can imagine, the first time you go out into space, it is a little bit, uh, you do have butterflies in your stomach. Well, I yeah. can imagine it was a lot of fun though. Amazing experience. This brings us on to our first question, which is from Stevie. Can you tell me what you eat and drink in space? Can you drink soft drink in space? The food we had in space is uh, is a variety of food. It's all uh, packaged food, of course. We don't have fresh food. It's what's called freeze-dried food. It's it's the kind of food that you might have if you'd ever been on a camping trip and you take packaged food with you. So you rehydrate it with water and... uh, make a meal that way. It actually doesn't sound very appealing, but it was actually quite good. We had a good selection of foods and vegetables and uh, fruit juices and tea and coffee. The only thing we didn't have was a lot of fresh fruit, like fresh apples or fresh oranges and things like that. We did have some soft drinks. We had orange juice and other juices, uh, fresh, fresh fruit juices, but uh, we didn't have fizzy drinks. You can't have fizzy drinks in space because... Uh, bubbles make it just turn into a frothy mess and you wouldn't really want that. Well, I've had freeze-dried ice cream before and that was pretty good, I have to say, but then the ants got to it and that wasn't good. (laughs) Did you have like the same meal every day or were there different meals? Yeah, that's a good question. We had a uh, large selection of food. I, I had a lot to choose from. We could have chicken, beef, fish, Depending on what your taste was, we had a whole selection of vegetables we could taste. We had a whole selection of desserts too. So I could have a different kind of meal every day. There was uh, always this good variety to choose from. So there was always something new and interesting. So you don't get tired of it. Are you always busy or do you have some downtime to read books and movies? Yes, you, you have both. You are busy because there's always a lot of work to do. You have a work program that you've got to do, which in my case was science experiments. Uh, You have to exercise too. It's important to maintain 
physical well-being with exercise. But we would get our evenings free, and we could uh, read books or watch movies. And we often watched uh, movies, uh, taped movies, uh, after dinner in the spacecraft as a way of relaxing. Honestly, I'm feeling a bit jealous. It seems like you were living the life of Riley up there, <laughs> sitting down watching movies. Well, I wouldn't say it was bad. But it was a good life, there's no doubt yeah. about it. Our next question is about spacecrafts from Reese. How does a rocket work and how do you control it? What fuel does it use? And why does it look like the engines fall off after it takes off? Oh, those are very good questions. A rocket works by burning fuel, very what we call highly flammable fuel, in a combustion chamber. Uh, the fuel is usually uh, liquid hydrogen. Sometimes it's kerosene, but mostly it's liquid hydrogen. And it burns so intensely and so with such high pressure that it creates this exhaust that rushes out the back of the rocket. And the exhaust rushes out with so much force and so much pressure that it pushes the rocket in the opposite direction forward. And that's where you get your acceleration and thrust from that lets you climb up out of the atmosphere. I know it looks like you do throw away the engines, but you actually don't. What happens is as you climb up higher and faster and go faster and faster, you've burned off fuel and you've got all of these fuel tanks that you had the fuel in them and they're just dead weight. You don't want to have to keep carrying them with you because it costs you too much in to carry them with you. So you, you release them. It's called staging and it's been done for years. And we once you've depleted the fuel in certain tanks of the rocket, you then release them and let them go so you don't have to carry them with you everywhere you go. And that's why it looks like you're throwing the engines away, but you're not actually. Right. Well, whoever thought of all these engine and the hydrogen fuel and everything, it must be really, really smart. And obviously you would need to know everything about the space shuttle, which you have proven you do. Liam wants to know how long it takes to train to be an astronaut. It typically takes a couple of years, basic training, to learn to operate the spacecraft. When I flew on the shuttle... Uh, we had to understand how it worked and all the systems on it. And the flight deck of the shuttle had 1,500 knobs, dials, switches and levers and uh, things that you had to understand what they all did and how they all worked so that you didn't press the wrong button at the wrong time because that could be very bad. And that takes a couple of years to learn. And then when you get assigned to a flight, you usually do another year of training for that specific flight, learning the systems that you're going to fly on that particular flight which might be to launch a satellite or to do a spacewalk or whatever. And so it takes a few years to prepare for a professional space flight. I think going to space is something many kids have been dreaming about for a long time, actually, and I have been too. <laughs> and this leads us to Ryan's question. I'm wondering if anyone can be an astronaut. Can people with disabilities become astronauts? main qualification to be an astronaut is some kind of engineering or science background. You've got to have the basic education. If you've got the education uh, in science or engineering or chemistry or physics or even medicine, then you can become an astronaut. People with disabilities can become astronauts. It depends, of course, on the nature of the disability. But provided you can operate the systems uh, of the spacecraft satisfactorily, then there's no reason why you couldn't become an astronaut. So aim high. You never know where it might take you. Well, that's really great advice. So space could be a really diverse place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have uh, all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of uh, people in the astronaut corps and 
flying spacecraft. You might be interested to know that my wife is also an astronaut. She's a native Texan, and she's actually uh, flown in space once. And she's a physicist by training. And she's right now training to fly again. She'll fly sometime before the end of the year to the International Space Station. Do you read about that? I hope she has a great space flight. I guess travelling to space isn't without risks. And Charlotte would like to know, what are the sorts of things that could go wrong for astronauts in space? Yes, there are risks involved. There's no doubt about that. When you're on a space station, um, it, it's contained, it's a pressure vessel that provides an artificial atmosphere to breathe and provides water for you to drink and all your meals. If you were to have a puncture in the side of the space station and the all, all the air was to leak out, that would be very bad. That's perhaps one of the most serious things that you could have go wrong on a space station. One of the other problems you might have on a space station is if you had a fire on board, because if you have a fire, you can't just open the windows and let the smoke out, because that would be even worse. So you have to uh, be able to contain it. So you're losing the air or having a fire are perhaps the highest risks uh, of a, or you have to face in an orbiting space station. So how would be one of the ways that you'd control the fire or put it out when you're in the middle of space? We have on board a lot of sophisticated fire extinguishers that will put the fire out. And we also have breathing oxygen systems so that you can have fresh air to keep breathing, even though there's a lot of smoke and fire. Then you would rely on the air handlers and the air filters of the actual of the life support systems to remove the smoke. It takes a while, a while to do it, but uh, that's how you would deal with it. At least we know that there's ways to deal with it. And do you ever get nervous when you're going up into space, knowing that there are potential life-threatening risks? You know, the first time I flew in space, I was probably more excited by the prospect of flying in space. You do have a few butterflies in your stomach. It would be obviously inevitable not to, considering what you're doing. But I was so excited to be finally getting to fly in space, and I was excited that the training was finally over and that we were getting to do something that I'd been hoping to do, well, basically all my life. It was coming into reality. I lay back and enjoyed the experience. It was a great ride. I remember as we left the upper atmosphere on one of my flights, I looked at the faces of my crewmates as we were leaving the atmosphere at hypersonic velocity. Um, and I thought there can't be anyone on Earth doing anything more exciting at this particular moment than what we were doing right at that particular time. Now, I have one last question before we wrap up. Some of my friends have told me that people with broken bones can't go into space. Is this true? No, that's not true. Uh, I once broke a finger bone and I've been into space. There is some evidence that if you don't exercise when in space, your bones get weaker. Um, That might be what they're referring to. But if you've had a fracture of a bone, broken leg or broken arm sometime in your past, that won't stop you from going into space at all. Um, but when you're in space, you do need to keep exercising regardless of uh, your past history. It's just important to maintain good health and bone strength by exercising. Well, that's great to hear. So my dreams haven't been shattered yet. <laughs> well, Dr. Andrew Thomas, we know you are a huge inspiration to so many Australians. Thank you so very much for giving us your time here on Kids Cues. Thank you both very much for taking the time to put those questions to me and I wish you all well with your futures.
Thank you and a huge thanks to the students and teachers at Cannington Community ESC School who came up with the topic and the questions. We hope you can join us again next week for Kids Cues when we take a deep dive into our oceans. From melting icebergs to microplastics and ocean exploration. We're going from outer space to the bottom of the ocean. What a journey. If you would like to contact us, just send us an email to kids at the West dot com dot au and we'll get back to you well that's it from us until then bye for now kids cues brought to you by the west australians ed magazine and seven west media education